Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you uh, with me another evening, another Tuesday evening, where we reflect into the great ancient Christian thinkers, where we have the opportunity to learn from those who have gone before us, uh, those saints who have shown us the way. And uh, typically... Uh, each and every Tuesday, I have John O'Hara with me, but uh, he is away. So I have George Wing replacing him. He has uh, been with us a few times. So George, it is great to have you back. Great to be here, Joe. So George, we have the opportunity this evening to study St. Cyprian of Carthage. Now, in the first few weeks, George, we looked at what is history? Why do we study history? And then we went into the evangelists and the apostles. And then we looked at those great apostolic fathers, St. Clement of Rome, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Polycarp of Smyrna, and now we are still in this uh, post-apostolic father age, you know, and we have uh, taken up these figures so as to gain an, an appreciation of the tenacity of those who have gone, gone before. So important. Now, that's not Carthage, Illinois, is it? No, 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 it is not. <laughs> and I'm sure Carthage, a lot of states. Carthage is a, is a popular town, popular city, but no, not Carthage, Illinois. <laughs> okay, important city on the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. uh, midway between Alexandria, Egypt, and what would be the uh, Straits of Gibraltar, right? Mm -hmm. I think uh, the ruins in Tunisia. Yes. Okay, next door to Libya, that would be to the west of Libya between Libya and Algeria uh, in, on a modern map, mm -hmm. but an important seaport city, as was Alexandria, but perhaps not as, as wealthy and influential as Alexandria. But in church history, of course, important, important because Augustine was also a bishop of Carthage, as was Cyprian. Yes. Yes, you know, we, we talk about these saints, St. Polycarp of Smyrna, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and how important is it, George, to go back into those cities, into those towns, um, into those bustling trade and commerce areas to gain appreciation for uh, the setting that these saints found themselves. I mean, Mother Teresa of what? Calcutta. To appreciate who Mother Teresa was and who we'll soon be calling St. Teresa of Calcutta is to get into... Uh, Calcutta, and to uh, appreciate what Calcutta was all about. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating to know that uh, the Christian makeup of Calcutta and collectively India is 1%, George, and all of Calcutta says uh, this is Mother Teresa's India. And why do they say this, George? Because of her love for just not the poor, but for the poorest of the poor. Because India, and especially Calcutta, is known to be a place of extreme, extreme poverty. That's so striking. That's the kind of impact. And so it's always important to get into uh, where these uh, saints come from. Yeah, context is, is so important in history. And I think the issue of Carthage or the situation of Carthage uh, during the time of the Roman Empire. And I think with Cyprian, we're looking at, is it uh, 250 AD? 
Yeah, he's, yeah he's born in 200 AD, and he, he dies roughly 258. So he's in Carthage. He's, he's elected by the people, because that's how they mm-hmm. did it then, right? He's elected as bishop at roughly 248, 249 AD, yeah, in okay. Carthage. Yeah, this, the neo-paganism that we find in the United States today, and some describe the United States as post-Christian, is perhaps not too dissimilar in certain respects from Carthage of the 3rd century AD, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where, yes, you have a, a, the, the state, which provided stability for the city and uh, um, ability for the Carthaginians to engage in uh, commerce, but Carthage was undoubtedly home to a number of sects, a number of religious movements, as well as the own, you know, what indigenous pagan religion was. Yeah. And so the young people of Carthage were not presented, let's say, with a, a uniform framework, a way of looking mm-hmm. at things. Mm-hmm. And they had many different options. And certainly Cyprian was subject to all of these options, yeah. living a life actually of disillusion until age 35. So young people today, I mean, we're, we're faced with that here in the United States. If it's not new age, it's whatever's knocking at the door. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we're coming at us now with a g- even greater intensity over the internet. So the sorts of temptations that a young a citizen of Carthage would have faced, perhaps similar to some of the things that we face today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the word secularism, as you're talking there, George, I have that word ringing in my ear, secularism, the Latin seculare, uh, belonging to an age, mm-hmm. right? So when we, when we talk about secularism, uh, typically we put it within the context of um, that materialistic pull that belongs to our particular age, an age usually bound up in a 40-year time span. Uh, so yeah, there was secularism, okay, back in 250 AD Carthage. And a secularism and materialism that plays off of our human concupiscence, Mm -hmm. the result of original sin, uh, a tendency of our senses to run amok and to trample over reason in the pursuit of an illusory happiness. And this is so important that we see the danger of the present age that we live in and and be edified by the life of St. Cyprian. Yeah, because you know, George... (laughs) To, to, to know the story of St. Cyprian is to be inspired. In many ways, like that of St. Augustine, it is in uh, St. Cyprian's first work where he chronicles his life like one St. Augustine, and you had already mentioned the age, 35. In his first work, he talks about going to these, you know, gladiatorial shows, the theater, and you use the word illusion. You know, he was drawn into this, George, and uh, he lived a life of debauchery and sin, and he openly speaks about this. He likely suffered from what we would today call affluenza. Yeah. (laughs) That's the sickness of rich kid, right? Yeah. He was able to buy any toy he wants and procure any amusement. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, only to wake up at age 35 to see he's uh, well into his adult years and yet still behaving as a child and still drawing to these things that, uh, that have provided him with maybe a momentary excitement but with no lasting happiness. Mm-hmm. And how we find ourselves today in our modern culture, which is so materialistic, 
for instance, in modern advertising, and advertising that would, would play off of every bad tendency yes. we could possibly have <laughs> yeah. in order to sell that product. Yeah, it's striking. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's important that we're talking about this, George, because what was going on... 1700 years ago is is still very much going on today and yeah he came from a very uh, fluent family a pagan family he was a lawyer himself so he had plenty of money but it was a man by the name of father sicilianus who began to uh, change his way he would go and meet with him personally uh, and it is um oh what is his name uh saint pontius a deacon who chronicles his life, and he talks about how uh, this St. Cyprian would meet with Father Sicilianus, and he just had a huge impact upon him, and of course, this is noted in, in his first work as well. The power of one-on-one witnessing mm. and sincere friendship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this priest here, very much attracted to this young man, and seeing, um, of course, a tremendous potential in him, but also seeing the depth of the sin and depravity but not being afraid to uh, to reach out in friendship and to invest that time to save that one soul who in turn hmm. saved many others. Mm-hmm. That's the impact that we can have. I mean, if there's a lesson to be learned, George, from the life of St. Cyprian and all of these figures that we have talked about, really, certainly St. Cyprian has a unique story because of his life of sin. But it's how one impacts another and how that person impacts so many. It, it's so striking. You know, Pope Francis, in his um, first major document, Joy of the Gospel, he offers up a number of paragraphs where, George, he's talking about this personal accompaniment, where um, we are to take uh, that person by the hand and then just journey with them into the faith, into a deeper understanding of the faith. I'm inclined to believe that that is what one Father Sicilianus did with young Cyprian. Uh, What an impact it had. The priest was an optimist. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't hopeless. It was hopeful. Yeah, that's right. Which means it was at least half full, not half empty. That's right. Amen. (laughs) Amen. George, maybe you can read that, uh, that piece that Benedict gives us that is actually from the writings of St. Cyprian, and it highlights how St. Cyprian was understanding the impact that baptism had on him. Sure. This is from Church Fathers, from Clement of Rome to Augustine, by our Emeritus Pope, Benedict XVI. And what's so beautiful about this, now, Joe and I experienced baptism in infancy. Mm-hmm. So the graces that were conferred on us were, you might say, graces that we were unconscious of. But I know growing up that those graces did much to protect me Yes, and to guide me. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes nowadays, particularly in our um, circles of our separated brethren, there tends to be uh, perhaps a view that baptism is just a ritual, that there's nothing special that's imparted. But we have here this beautiful testimony from St. Cyprian, who was baptized as an adult, I believe here, 35 years of age. So unlike Joe and unlike me, he was very conscious of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And this is a beautiful testimony of the graces that are imparted to us in baptism and the ability of of God through grace to transform us uh, once we've surrendered to Jesus Christ. Uh, St. Cyprian, 
I used to regard it as extremely difficult and demanding to do what God's mercy was suggesting to me. I myself was held in bonds by the innumerable errors of my previous life from which I did not believe I could possibly be delivered. So I was disposed to acquiesce to my clinging vices and to indulge my sins. Now, Joe, I'm assuming Cyprian is perhaps talking about a time, uh, perhaps his catechumenate, mm-hmm. when he was being instructed, and yet he was subject to, you know, as I said, indulge in my sins, okay, mm-hmm. to lapses. And instructed by one Tertullian who we talked about uh of these past few weeks. This is not small change. No, no, yeah, 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 yeah. So Cyprian continues, But after that, by the help of the water of new birth, the stain of my former life was washed away, and a light from above, serene and pure, was infused into my reconciled heart. A second birth restored me to a new man. Then, in a wondrous manner, every doubt began to fade. I clearly understood understood that what had first lived within me, enslaved by the vices of the flesh, was earthly, and what instead the Holy Spirit had wrought within me was divine and heavenly. Mm, Beautiful. You know, George, what do we receive in the sacrament of baptism? The virtues of faith, hope, and love. These are the uh, moral virtues, the theological virtues We call this, George, the sanctifying grace. This is a sanctifying grace. Paul's vision, you know, he says we are sanctified in Jesus Christ. Sanctified in the Greek, hagiazo, to be set apart. In the Old Testament, things were set apart. In the New Testament, in the new dispensation of grace, people are set apart, okay? So what we are made to see is that we are set apart for holiness. And how are we set apart? Because grace is actually etched onto our very souls. Mm -hmm. The word grace, if you really get underneath it, I think it's in its Akkadian root, is is the the word is res, and it's the image is sap. Okay. Mm -hmm. Grace is like sap. And what is sap? Sap, where does it come from? A tree. Sap actually contains uh, the water from the tree, the nutrients from the tree, even, George, the hormones from, from the tree, all of the life-giving properties of the tree. This is what we receive in baptism, those life-giving properties, those life-giving, uh, life-giving nutrients uh, that come from the Trinitarian life of God. Sap also protects the tree. Mm-hmm. And we have the testimony, mm-hmm. millions and millions of years ago, yes, of yes. insects in amber. Yes. That sap, any cut on the tree, the sap pours out. Any insect that would do harm to that tree is entrapped in the sap. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's fabulous. I didn't, I didn't realize that that was the etymology of the word. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it... Um, yeah, it talks about the type of sap that begins flowing in our veins as a result of the graces of baptism. Yes. And, of course, that flows even freer as we are growing and become more conscious of our faith through wise instruction and uh, to our participation in the life of the church in the Mass. Something happened when I received my first communion at age six or seven. Okay, But, I, but once again... Um, not as conscious here of, as Cyprian was at age 35, but mm-hmm. there was something that occurred. There was, on some level, I consented to Christ coming into my life. Yeah. And um, in a sense, that sap's able to flow even more uh, freely, or at least we're conscious of its flowing. And, and, of, and of course, as we grow older, conscious, more conscious of our need for that protection yeah. that comes to us from 
the sacraments. And, and just being very grateful is to have been protected in infancy, although by proxy through my godparents. Grace a- is nevertheless there. Amen. Amen, George. And certainly, you use the word grateful, and one Saint Cyprian was grateful, you know, mm-hmm. for God's love for him, uh, his forgiveness. And, you know, in, in God's uh, divine wisdom, George, we can appreciate historically why uh, he raised up Cyprian for a, a city uh, like that of Carthage, because there were many, George, who um, were leaving the faith or falling into heresy. Uh, many priests were not receiving them because they had lapsed into this state of mortal sin. They, you know, we had already talked about Carthage and <laughs> all of the allurements. Well, here you have uh, one bishop, Cyprian, come along, and uh, yes, he was uh, orthodox and he was very close to all of the core teachings of the church. He wasn't going to negotiate with any of those teachings. Yet, what he did understand was God's mercy. And Carthage was being brought up into a deeper understanding of what Christianity was all about under his uh, guidance. Because he understood well, George, that the forgiveness of sins is what lies at the heart of the unity of the church. He talked about this actually in uh, the seven petitions of the Our Father that we'll take note of later on. Uh, so certainly St. Cyprian did a lot to reunify the church there in Carthage. The expression, we ain't seen nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we can perhaps see uh, the beginnings in our own society here of, of what might eventually become a very fierce persecution of mm-hmm. the Christian faith in general and Catholicism mm-hmm. in particular. But um, you know, as I say, we ain't seen nothing yet because these Roman persecutions were absolutely uh, horrendous. And uh, you mentioned here uh, Decius, I believe, and then um, that was a persecution by imperial decree in the year 250, and then that of Valerian, 257-258. Uh, the, the penalty for confessing Christ was so severe, it could be the death penalty. Mm-hmm. In Cyprian's case, he was beheaded mercifully, and I assume because he was a Roman citizen and perhaps because of his age and his status in the community, but it also involved a confiscation of property and goods by the Roman state. Mm-hmm. So Christian families, yeah, the father of the family would be lost, uh, it would be executed, but the wife and children could be left in absolute penury because all of their assets confiscated. Today, here in the United States, we're so comfortable. Of course, there's this, this persecution going on of the church in, in Iraq as we speak and in areas under control by this radical Islamic group, ISIS. Mm-hmm. And that... China... And mm-hmm. in China, mm-hmm. so many parts of the world, Syria, mm-hmm. uh, Iraq, or uh, Iran, mm-hmm. and um, I, as we as we read about what's happening in other parts of the world, knowing that these people are following in the witness of the uh, great martyrs of the early church, and Cyprian, of course, being one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have talked in in the past few weeks about Tertullian's words: "The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church." Uh, and in fact, the actual translation is um, effective Christian seed. And uh, we have not seen that yet here in the States, George. Uh, yeah, we the Catholic Church is being persecuted on a level. It, it is. But you just said it. 
we ain't seen nothing yet. And we have to gird ourselves with um, prayer and scripture and the truths of Jesus Christ that we certainly are vested with all those things that we need to be vested with. I wanted to make a point, George, as you were talking about those two emperors, uh, because it was very important to the life of St. Cyprian. In 250 AD, there was a lot of controversy about um, one Bishop Cyprian because he hid, and there, a lot of the priests around him were very accusatory. Well, when that persecution was over with Emperor Decius, he came out and they had asked him to uh, explain himself. And he shows all of these wonderful and beautiful pastoral letters that he felt God had, had called him to write. And here, seven years later, as you noted, he was beheaded, all in, in God's hands and God's will. Now, you're talking about under the persecution of Decius, mm-hmm. where Cyprian goes into hiding. Yes, yes. Okay, so here he is, bishop, leader of the community, and he vanishes. But the great fruit of that vanishing were all these pastoral letters. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Pope Benedict himself mentions this, how greatly edified he was by, or is by, Cyprian's commentary on the Our Father. Yes. And even to this day, he derives great edification from Cyprian's reflections. Yes. Of course, if you're under persecution, and in intense persecution, Maybe you have cause to reflect deeply. Yes, I was just going to make that point. You're going to think more critically. And, and this is really the grace that comes out of, you know, the sin that is around us when the church is being persecuted, because you are made to think more critically. I think it was um, one origin who, who praised heresy in, in this kind of sleight of hand, saying because of heresy, you know, we have mm-hmm. a, a clarification of doctrine and, and the beauty of our faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. George, with our remaining time, I thought we can get to those paragraphs in the Catechism where St. Cyprian is highlighted there in the seven petitions of the Our Father. It's interesting to note historically, George, while you're finding that paragraph, um, St. Cyprian, you know, he's not the first one to write on the seven petitions of the Our Father, George. In fact, you know, one origin, as we've already talked about, Tertullian, St. Gregory of Nyssa, Augustine Will, they all treat the seven petitions of the Our Father. But it is St. Cyprian of Carthage who is recognized as the great master of the seven petitions because of both their breadth and comprehensiveness. Now, what's most striking is we are also at a point where, as we're going to read from the Catechism, the Catechism is made up in four pillars, the creed, the sacramental economy, uh, the Ten Commandments, life in Christ, and then uh, prayer. By 250 AD, we already have those four chief pillars developing. And so really the catechism, um, in many ways, here 1,750 years later, George, we are, um, we are not far from what they have. And it's no wonder that uh, the seven petitions that we have explained in the catechism draw so richly from the church fathers that we have talked about up to this point, and most especially St. Cyprian. Would you mind, Joe, if I were to read this quote uh, under the section headed, Thy Kingdom Come? Yes, please do. Now, in the Catechism, this is uh, uh, 2816. Um, That's a particular paragraph. And there's a quote here from St. Cyprian, and, and this speaks so powerfully to having a personal relationship with Christ, but this explains it in such a deeper way. Mm, mm. I mean, a more profound way. Uh, Here's Cyprian. 
It may even be that the kingdom of God means Christ himself, whom we daily desire to come, and whose coming we wish to be manifested quickly to us. For as he is our resurrection, since in him we rise, so he can also be understood as the kingdom of God, for in him we shall reign. Mm, Beautiful. Certainly a play on words with kingdom and reign. You know, Origen, um, George, he talks about the uh, the kingdom in the same way. He offers up its Christological components, but also the mystical. And and I've got to believe, certainly, that's in the heart of one uh, Saint Cyprian. Because for Saint Cyprian, and we can really gather this out from that quote, it was really about the heart. Benedict draws this out. God speaks to man in the heart, and man listens to God in the heart. Man speaks to God in the heart, and God listens to man in the heart. Right, And so the heart is the epicenter of one's union with God. A phrase that St. Cyprian would use, this union with God, a phrase that we hear, you know, St. Teresa of Avila and St. Therese and St. John of the Cross, they talk about this transformative union. St. Cyprian would talk about this. And so he would place an emphasis on the heart and the way in which Christ himself as the kingdom incarnate would reign in our hearts. There's the beautiful image of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven Mm. and the light emanating from the Lamb in the center of the city, a light that's forever. There's no period of darkness. In Jesus, we experience that light when we pray the Our Father and we bid that the Father's kingdom should come, praying in Jesus we dwell in that kingdom. Mm. There are no words, I think, that could describe really how I feel now, just reflecting on that and how sublime those thoughts are, but Mm -hmm. that each time as uh, Catholic Christians and and as um, Christians in in the wider circle of faith pray the Our Father that we be conscious that in Jesus we are dwelling in that kingdom. In Jesus we are expressing our love uh, for our Heavenly Father. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, George, the the catechism there in that pillar number four, it opens up talking about how prayer is a gift, prayer is covenant, and prayer is communion. And when we talk about kingdom, you know, Christ as uh, the kingdom incarnate dwelling within us, it really is that great covenant truth. Not uh, this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. This mutual interiority, he and me, I and him, that's what really lies at, at the heart of it. We can imagine in these Middle Eastern countries and other parts of the world that are where the Christians are suffering from severe persecution to the extent to which they themselves have internalized this, knowing that to lose everything mm. but to uh, remain in Christ is to have everything. Mm. And there's this beautiful passage here under the section in the Catechism, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. It's section 2830, Our Bread, where Cyprian, this is a quote from him, To those who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he has promised to give all else besides. Since everything indeed belongs to God, he who possesses God wants for nothing if he himself is not found wanting before God. Amen. Amen. And you want to know what, George? Let's close with that. That's a beautiful closing prayer, I think, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.